Oh, my goodness. Well, it's uh, really good to be here with you this morning. Uh, I'm Pastor Jared. I'm the worship and creative arts pastor here at the bridge. Uh, pastor Farrell is speaking at a conference um, this uh, weekend, so uh, he, he'll be back next week. Uh, I wanted to uh, go ahead and first mention, um, they told us um, that next week is uh, going to be our uh, first service in the new worship auditorium. So I don't know about y'all, but I am super pumped about that, especially if you hadn't checked it out. Um, still quite a bit that needs to be done. But they told us this uh, morning it was going to be kind of a scaled-down version of media and stuff, so we're not operating all of our cameras and our online feed. Um, they actually, first of all, said that you might just be audio online. And I said, well, that's even better, because if they don't have to see me, they'll probably tune in longer. And, uh, so, but we did get a stationary um, camera set up. And there's so much stuff that's going on that's good here at the bridge. You know, we just had our offering fit for a king two weeks ago, and they're going to be announcing those totals, I believe, next week. And then we had our missions uh, weekend, the pledges, and they're going to be talking about that as well. And then all these good things are happening. New worship auditorium, missions weekend, offering fit for king and then they put me up here to preach and it's like you know got to keep us you know leveled down but anyway uh just so much stuff is going on this month and uh in the next couple of weeks as well I mean you know there's a, a huge election that's coming up and it's funny four years ago I preached this exact same Sunday I believe and I said this exact same statement that I'm fixing to make and that was you know we encourage every person to go out and vote for the person that you feel would do the best job as a candidate here in the United States of America. And if you don't vote, then you don't get to complain, right? Okay, so go out and vote. It's coming up here pretty quickly. But, you know, I'm just thankful for a country where we have the freedom, where we can actually elect the person that we want in office, aren't you guys? And um, it, it, America is just unique in itself. It's the only place where you can have a holiday to represent how thankful you are for all that we have, followed up by the next day, the biggest shopping day of the year, where we're supposed to go out and buy all the stuff we don't want or, you know, don't have and we need. I mean, does anybody else find that ironic? Anybody ever been Black Friday shopping? Okay. Guys, if you're excited about that, we need to talk after service. Because there's a couple of things. I've actually only been to one, I honestly say. That was enough for me. Um, it was in Williamsburg, Virginia with uh, some family of mine. We had gone up there to stay for the weekend, and they were like, let's go Black Friday shopping. And I was like, you know, who, who really cares about getting up at 3 o'clock in the morning? Nobody should ever be up that early. And you know what I'm saying? You should not have to. And look, here's the thing. If you've ever been Black Friday shopping, you get to meet and see some interesting people. Crazy crazy people anybody agree with that statement just nod your head at me this morning and there's a couple of factors I feel like that you know could contribute to that like you know Starbucks isn't even open and if Starbucks Starbucks isn't open at that point and people don't have their coffee it makes you even crazier at least it does for me so I, I went along on this journey and I really didn't you know care a whole lot about it but I decided to go and so I remember we were we pulled up in the Target parking lot and the line was like wrapped all the way down the like the side of the building and I was like wow people take this stuff seriously they go to extreme measures here at Black Friday shopping so we you know we get in line and I didn't even know what was on sale I'll be honest with you I was just there along for the ride with my, my family and friends and we're standing in line and people are all excited they've got their little you know their black friday deals and they're looking to know where they're gonna you know they got game plans 
They're, they know, okay, you're going this way, I go this way, we'll meet around, we'll grab our stuff, we'll check it. I mean, it's just people take it serious. So I'm like, all right, I'm just sitting in line, and the anticipation starts to build. Now, something happened at that moment for me. Uh, again, I didn't care anything about it, but I, I found myself as it got closer to time. I'm a very competitive person. And so I'm just, you know, kind of sitting there in line, like kind of taking it all in, and, and anxiety kind of starts building. I'm getting a little, all right, you know, maybe, all right, these people, it's, it, it's a game, okay? It's, it's competition. So, you know, I was like, I'm going to join in. I get, so I start finding myself getting a little fidgety and nervous. I don't even know what I'm going to get when I get in there at this point. And so anyway, the doors are fixing to open, and, you know, people are like, you know how they get, they're, they're squishing. And, and, if you, and if the person in front of you is not paying attention, you just kind of will slide past them. You know, they're talking. So we're, you know, getting close to the door. And the door's open. And all of a sudden, you know, people are grabbing carts. It's like NASCAR. When, the, when they, you know, the pace car goes off, they're running. And, and I'm like, I don't know where I'm running. I'm just going. I'm just going to find somewhere to go and so when I get through the big double glass doors I can hear the chariots of fire music just playing dun 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 you know slow motion I'm just taking and I remember somewhere along the way I can't remember if it was in line or whatever but my mom um, did assign hey there is this thing that's on sale that you can go get if you can find it it still sits at our beach house and it was a cd player with like two little speakers on the side it was on sale I believe it was 28 bucks regular like I don't know 60 or something like that so anyway I I just take off running to find I figured electronics that's where it's got to be and people are bumping into each other I mean they're they're it's high stress level and so I run up there and I look and the shelf that they're on it's like they're gone I mean like two minutes the CD players are empty. They've wiped them clean. I'm like, who puts a Black Friday deal and puts three CD players on the... I mean, what? They spend all that money on advertising. They've got three CD players in the whole store. So I was like, I couldn't find any or whatever. And I'm kind of like discouraged. I ain't got no other motive to stick around at this point. So I remember I had to go to the restroom. And uh, so I walked around. And lo and behold, there is a pile of CD players... <laughs> in boxes right beside the restroom I mean I don't know why but I was like (gasps) it's like you could see the glimmering gold like I'm gonna get one I'm like the kid with the golden ticket on Willy Wonka there it is and I run up there and I grab the thing and I take off running like I got one and there's like 200 of them sitting there but at least I achieved what I came for I was happy I was pumped up we put it in the cart we checked out and you know we continued uh, to go on the rest of the, the day and I was like wow these people go to extreme measures they cut out the coupons they get up early set their alarms they do all these things to get exactly probably what they don't want or need but what they want Now, this is true for most of us. You and I could go around the room and I could ask everybody, tell me a time in your life where you made a choice, where you went to the extreme measures to get something you wanted. You made some type of sacrifice, you know, pulled long hours, spent a whole bunch of money on getting something that you really, really wanted. We all could share a story like this. Now, here's the thing. This morning, we're going to look at a guy who was faced with that same choice this morning in the scriptures, who had an extremely tough decision in front of him, whether he would give up and make a big sacrifice and get everything or walk away with nothing. 
Now what's interesting to note before we get into this this morning is, and this is, you might be able to find one because you're a, you know, a really good scholar or whatever, but it was interesting for me, the only story I could find where a guy came and knelt down at the feet of Jesus and walked away worse than he was when he came. You can look at all the other stories about the woman with the issue of blood and, and Mary, and you can just see it throughout scriptures where people came and encountered Jesus and walked away better. But this is interesting to note that this guy fell down at Jesus' feet and walked away worse off than he was. The guy who has everything walks away with nothing. But before I get into that, and if you want to go ahead and get ready, it's Mark chapter 10 to give you a, a moment just to turn there. Be at verse 17. If you had to think about the hardest thing for you to give up at this point in your life, and I know we go through stages and it's harder, you know, sometimes maybe when you're a teenager or a young adult, different things are important to us. But if you had to give up one thing right now that would just be the hardest thing to give up, what would it be? Just think about it. You don't have to tell me. I'll just name a couple, maybe do a couple memory joggers. Maybe it's chocolate cake. I don't know. <laughs> Facebook. It could be Facebook. Um, Pinterest. Where are my ladies? Where are my Pinterest ladies at? If you're a guy and you have Pinterest, uh, we need to have you come up for prayer at the end. I use my wife's, though. Seriously, I do sometimes. Get some ideas. Fantasy football right now is huge for guys. Anybody fantasy football care? No? Okay. ESPN. Maybe texting. Could be shopping. HGTV. I don't know what you spend all your time on. I think the huge one for us, all we could say is, you know, if we had to go away with phone and internet, uh, that would be extremely tough. But... Here is the guy in the Bible who has a tough, tough choice to make. And we're going to see why it was so hard for him. So let's look together this morning in Mark chapter 10, verse 17. That's where we're going to start. It says, as Jesus started on his way. Now, if we look to where Jesus was at this point in Scripture, he was on the east side of the Jordan, Riv Jordan River. And he's on his way to Jerusalem. And it says, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Now, a couple of interesting things to note here. First of all, um, any person who is running up to you it, or running towards you could mean a couple of different things. You know, I, I heard a comedian, and I, I even watched a couple of YouTube videos before where they would just have a, a, a big crowd running towards a group of people and looking back like they're being chased, and all of a sudden the people in front of them just take off running too. Like, I don't know what they're running from, but they're, they're being chased, I'm running too, you know? And so here, here is a guy who runs up to the feet of Jesus. Now, if you do more investigation into this scripture, I don't have a whole lot of time but, um, to get into this, but the, the prestigiousness and, and the important role that he held, um, it was very uncommon for a person of his caliber to run, first of all. And here's this very important man who, who is running up. So that's interesting to note in itself. But he falls down at the feet of Jesus. Now, I personally have not had uh, many people run up to me and fall down at my feet. It, I think it happened one time, and it was because I was playing backup guitar for the Matt Bartlett Band, and these girls were just falling down at our feet. That's not true. <laughs> but he falls down at Jesus' feet, and he says this. He says, good teacher, he asks, what must I big two-letter word right here do to inherit eternal life now it's interesting to note as well he doesn't refer to him as lord he doesn't call him savior 
or Christ, but he calls him good teacher. And you go, now why is that important? Well, in Jewish tradition, it was very uncommon for people to refer to another as good because only God was good. So this guy was actually trying to flatter Jesus. It was a very, very respectful greeting the way he approached him. Now, as you read in the next couple of scriptures, you can tell that this man who has approached Jesus, and he's a young man, I believe in Matthew, and they refer to him as the actual rich young ruler. But I, I just picture him as being very analytical. Some of you are like that. You like to analyze every little thing. And, and here this guy is. He's very similar to that. And he had this thought that he wanted to know, surely there was an answer to this question. Surely he would give me what I needed to know here. Now, as parents, um, you can probably identify with this. Your kids coming to you with, with a need or a question, something that they want to, to do. Like, Mom, I want to go. Can I go to so-and-so's birthday party? And, or mom, you know, is it okay if I stay the night with so-and-so? And then you may put some type of stipulation on that for them. Yes, you can go if you clean your room or if you do your chores or if you eat all your asparagus or your vegetables or, you know, whatever the, the stipulations are. All of us have probably dealt with that. The same thing is true when you're growing up and you have a girlfriend or boyfriend and you, you know, in love or think you're in love. There's nothing sometimes that you won't do for another person. And you'll do everything you can to obtain it. Maybe, and I remember for me, and this is, man, dating way back. But some of you are like, ah, that's even further back. Uh, the, the Tickle Me Elmos were, were popular. You remember those? <laughs> okay. Some of you do. And uh, so I wanted to, to buy that for... Um, it was like a sixth grade crush or something like that. And so we went to every store and spent a bunch of money anyway. Make a long story short, did everything we could. actually ended up getting it from my sister and giving it to her. But that's, that's another story. But I did everything I could to get what I wanted for someone else. And all of us have wasted a ton of money and time and resources on junk. Maybe you've bought just junk that your kids wanted or um, you've thrown away a bunch of money on stuff. I was at the fair. Anybody go to the fair this year? Show me hands. A couple people. All right. Maybe what's not been that popular this year. But I, I was sitting in line. Um, I got those tickets. They give you the tickets and they rip you off on that because you got to buy four at a time. But you, they, don't, they take three, so you're left with one. So you don't want to leave with one ticket. So you got to go buy some more. And it's all rigged anyway. But there's this guy and he's standing at one of those booths and his girlfriend wants a six foot gorilla. Now, I'm just wondering, what are you going to do with a six-foot gorilla? First of all, how are you going to get a six-foot gorilla home? You've got to have a convertible when you go to the fair to walk away with one of the big prizes, right? And so he's playing the game where you got the ball, and she's like, you know, I want the gorilla, and I just happened to stop because nobody ever wins hardly. And it's the game with the three bottles. You know what I'm talking about? You have to throw the ball and hit the bottles, and it's only like from here to the front row. And so this guy, you know, he's got two chances, and... Um, he gets the ball, and she, you could see their young couple, they're kind of like, oh, you know, he's going to win me this, this gorilla. And so he, he takes this ball, and he backs up like I'm fixing to knock this mug to the ground. I'm knocking the bottles off, and it's on a little chair, about, maybe about this tall. 
And he rears back, he's going to get this, this girl wants it, he's like, I'm going to get it for her, she's going to be happy. And he runs and he just chunks this like softball, I think it was a softball, as hard as he possibly can. Now these booths are not very big, right? They're about like from here to about here wide and they're not very deep. And he throws it and it's the worst throw I have ever seen in my life. And I'm not making this up. He throws the ball and it hits the ground before the chair, okay? But it gets better. He throws the ball, it hits the ground, hits the chair leg just at the perfect angle where it ricochets sideways and backwards to catch the side wall of where the guy who is standing and operating the booth is and hits just beside him, almost knocking his head off. He ducks comes back at even the better angle towards the couple who is standing there. So let's put it in perspective. It hits the ground, it hits the chair leg, it comes back to the sidewall and comes towards the guy and the girl that are standing there. And they both duck and the ball goes backwards out the back of the booth. Now, if you could have seen it in fast motion, you you would have been like me busting out laughing because it was like this fast. And that guy was like, holy cow, what in the world? And I just saw it, and the guy's like, you want number two? And I just thought, you know, that's the way we are. We, we'll do, okay, I'll spend $5 and two baseball throws on getting a six-foot gorilla that you don't really need, but I'll do it because I love you, and you want it. And so this guy here, he wants to know, what do I have to do? There's got to be something I can do to inherit eternal life. But it's interesting what Jesus responds with. He says in verse 18, why do you call me good? Now, this is what we see all throughout scriptures. Jesus answering a question with a what? A question. So many times. And then I I thought it was so funny. If you look back in Luke chapter 2, it started in an early age. When uh, his mom and dad left him, and he was still in the temple, and in Luke 2, 48 and 49, they come back there looking for him, like 12 or 13 years old, and they're like, so why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have anxiously been searching for you. And Jesus responds with, why are you searching for me? What do you mean, why are we searching for you? He says, didn't you know I was in my father's house? And then we fast forward and we see the same thing happens when he's feeding the crowd. They ask him, Jesus, where can we get enough bread in this remote place to feed this crowd? And he says, how many loaves do you have? Another question. When Jesus is asleep in the bottom of the boat, they think they're going to drown. He says, teacher, don't you care if we drown? They wake him up and he says, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And so Jesus responds with this man's, young man's question with a question of his own. And Jesus says, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and your mother. Now what's interesting to note, if you look at it, Jesus only gives the commandments that are person to person. He doesn't illustrate the ones that are between the person and God. So you take the first five and it's different than the next five. And so he goes through and these are the ones that are person to person. Not the sins, and they're all sins obviously, but the sins against God. And he says, teacher, 
He declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Now, what's interesting to note is that Jesus knew that that wasn't true, but he didn't argue. I mean, you can look at the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus preached, and he said, you know, you've heard it said, and he's talking to the people, you've heard it said that, you know, don't uh, commit murder. He said, but if I tell you, you look at any person with hatred in your heart, you've committed murder against them. He said, you know, the world's standards and my standards are totally different, but Jesus doesn't argue with this man. He continues on, but it says this. It says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. And I believe he was sad because in this guy's mind, he had rationalized, okay, I'm all right. By the standards of what you've just said, I'm okay. He thinks he's okay. And Jesus had compassion on him. And then Jesus says this to him, okay, well, there's one thing you lack. Now, maybe this guy was there and he thought, sweet, I thought it was going to be a list. You know, just there would be a couple, but you're, you're saying that there's just one thing that I lack. And so there's the moment of hope for this guy as he's standing there at the feet of Jesus. And I'm sure he, at that point he was thinking, you know, whatever you say, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. It's just one thing. I'm, I, I could do it. And so this is what he had waited for. And you think about it, if you look back at verse 1 and you look at what he said, it says, as Jesus started on his way, now I'm not saying this is exactly factual, I've done some research in this, but you could presume that Jesus had been standing there, because the, the scriptures before it talks about him, he was with the children, and, and it looks like he's fixing to leave, so maybe, maybe this guy was off in the distance kind of watching all this stuff happen, and now Jesus is leaving, so that's why he runs, because it's like his last hope, I've got to get him before he leaves. And so we look at that, and he stood inside the crowd, and now it's his turn. His question's going to be answered. The solution's going to be given. He's going to be happy once for all, eternal life. He's going to find the reason. And here's what Jesus says to him. Oh, he's like, okay, get ready. Here it comes. Now, if it were modern day, I'm, he'd be like, okay, hold on. Let me t- uh, I don't have any paper. Let me type it on my phone. All right, tell me just what I need to know. Or, or if he had, okay, I'm ready. One second, let me write this down. Here's the thing I need to do to inherit eternal life. And then Jesus says this, and I could just, you know, see it modern. He's like, all right, looking, either looking at him or if he were at that point would have had some pen and paper, he's like, all right, go ahead. And he says, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. So the guy's going, okay, go sell everything. What? Yeah, yeah, you didn't hear me. Go sell everything that you have. Give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. He said, and then come follow me. Now, that guy might have been thinking, uh, if it were modern day, what, is, this, is this April Fool's? Is this a joke? Do you know, really know how much that means, how much money I have? If it were modern day, he could have been like, wait a second, is Ashton Kutcher around? Am I getting punked? Is this for real? He says, sell everything and follow me. What, is there a camera around? Now think about how this guy must have been feeling as he wrestled with this very thing that has been put in front of him. The wind, talking about being sucked out of him. I mean, it'd be like telling Michael Phelps, okay, just if you'll cut your arms off, then you can go. If you're a Carolina fan, you can no longer wear light blue, ever. 
Jesus wanted him to give it all away. But it was interesting. It wasn't, he didn't say, give it to me, give it to my disciples, give it to my ministry, because it's nothing to Jesus. I mean, we put that in perspective. Jesus doesn't need the world's treasure. The most expensive and the most important things by the world's standards is nothing compared to God. Money was what fulfilled this man. It's what identified him. It's what controlled him. It's what had his heart. It's the one thing that kept him from truly becoming a Christ follower. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't misunderstand. This is not a sermon on money. This is a sermon on sacrifice. At this, in verse 22, the man's face fell. Now, here's what we don't see because obviously you can't list everything in detail that happened in this story. But it says that the man's face fell. Now, I believe that he sat there and wrestled with this question in his mind. Maybe he thought about how much that meant, how much money that was. Put in a dollar figure on it or stuff that he had. And he's like, is it possible? Is there, there's no other way around this. His head's to the ground. He's looking down and all eyes are on him. There's a crowd around. The disciples are around. Everybody is looking at this man wondering, will he be able to give all of this prestigiousness? away for the cause and for Christ if it were the game show it'd be who wants to be a millionaire it was the final question there's no more lifelines and everyone is waiting for his response and then we fast forward because we see in the next verse or next sentence it says he went away sad because he had great wealth now, when I f- read through this the first couple of times, I read through it actually pretty, pretty fast. And I actually thought this next statement or this next sentence was a question, but it's actually a statement. In verse 23, it says, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is. I thought he said, how hard is it? But it's how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And not only that, but there's an exclamation point there for emphasis for us. The disciples were amazed at his words, like, wait a second, what? He says, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. You want me to tell you how hard it is? Let me give you an illustration that will put it in perspective for you. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, in our minds, we would think that would be the first time, in other words, it was used when pigs fly, but it's not. But you think, wait a second. I don't, my mind can't really fathom that. Now, I had to do a lot of research on this. I had to do a whole lot of investigation. I, I read commentaries. I, I watched other s- pastors preach this to see what they said that this was and what it meant because there are different thoughts in this passage of Scripture. If we were to take it literally, 
then what we would be saying was, and I'm sure most of y'all in the back, you might not be able to see it, but if you're sitting up close, you do. I have a needle in my hand with an eye. You would say, wait, there's no possible way that a camel could fit through an eye of the needle. Well, then it's also been said, if you may have heard this growing up, that the eye of a needle was actually a gate that was entered when the main gate, I believe it was in Jerusalem, was not open, that people would have to go through the side and it was smaller. And so when people were traveling and they were on camel, they had a lot of uh, their, their stuff, their baggage. Maybe you've seen that on um, a, a movie or these camels that would carry these satchels on the side. And so it was already difficult because it was smaller, but they would have to remove all of their stuff off of their camel for it to be able to enter through this narrow, smaller gate. Now, I looked into that and researched, and I couldn't find any actual evidence. I've heard, I read what some pastors preach, and I heard what some other people spoke. Here's the point. I'm not saying either one of those are exactly right, but I think the point that Jesus is trying to make is it's hard. It's difficult. Now, we could look around and go, wait a second, I'm not rich. I make this much money. But if we compare ourselves for the very fact that we even have running water and electricity in the world, we could look around and say, all of us in here, that we can sit in air condition, are rich. So I'm not trying to point fingers or say that people who have a whole bunch of money, that, it, that it's harder for you. But I think the point that Jesus is saying is it's super super difficult because of the ability and, and the way we trust in our stuff and materialistic things. Now, I brought a needle. I wanted to, to bring a camel, but I was afraid, you know, of the spitting and the, the smell. So, But if you look at either one of those illustrations, just take, for example, the fact of the camel going through the smaller gate. What he's saying is we have to take all of our stuff that's stopping us from entering into the small, the narrow gate off before we can get in. The thing that's holding us back has to be taken off. Why would he say this? Those who have a lot, who aren't in need, many of them don't see God as their provider in the same way that those who don't have as much stuff they're more likely to trust in themselves and their money and their stuff than they are in God. Now, I've heard stories of people who have gone to other countries and talked about how, you know, they had dirt floors, they had wells that they had to get water out of, there was no Walmarts or, or any type of place that they could go and get all the things that we find so easily. I mean, I live off 581. It takes me four minutes to get to Walmart. But they talk about how if you were to look at the way they respond to the gospel, the way they worship, you would think that they have everything. Some of them don't even have enough clothes to wear. But you would think that they have everything. And so Jesus illustrates this. Now, listen to what they respond based on what Jesus said. The disciples come back to Jesus and they're like, wait a second. They're even more amazed in verse 26. And they said to each other, well, if that's the case, who then can be saved? Now, that's how I probably would respond to it because there, if you were to take it literal, and I don't have any fingernails, so now, oh wait, I did be able to get that up. 
who then can be saved? How would any camel fit through the eye of the needle? I don't see how that's possible. Is that what you're saying, Jesus? And listen what Jesus looked at him and said. He said, with man, this is impossible. In other words, I don't see how that could happen or whether the camel going through there or not. I don't see that how, how that can happen, but through God, even though you can't fathom it or see it, through God, all things are possible. Now, the money and the stuff might not be the issue for you. I mean, it, for you it could be your children are just at that age and you're just like, <laughs> I need some hope. Maybe it, it is a financial thing where you just don't see any way that you're going to be able to pay your bills this month. Maybe it's a job situation. Maybe it's a sickness or illness that you or someone in your family, and by the world standards and by any way you look at it, it doesn't work out. But hear that word this morning. Through God, there is nothing that is impossible. Now we hear that story in the Bible and we see the rich man and we could go, you know, I don't, I don't get it. How is it that this man can come and sit at the feet of Jesus after he saw people being healed? I mean, this is at the end, almost the end of Jesus' ministry before he's crucified. Surely he heard and saw all that, that Jesus did while he was here. How is it this man could come to his feet and walk away worse off than he was when he came? And so the rich young ruler gets a bad rap. Well, why couldn't he just gave it up and follow Jesus and have eternal life? But you know what's interesting to note? This is the only story in the Bible where someone, don't, don't miss this, this is the only story in the Bible where someone got the cost up front before following Jesus. This is the only story in the Bible that I could find where someone got the cost of what it was going to take to follow Jesus. Now what if we would have known what it was going to cost us before following Jesus? Would we still have said yes? Had we known the friendships that it was going to ruin with the persecution that maybe we would get from family and friends, the judgments that people would put on us as Christians, the sin that we would have to deny daily. Think about missionaries who were killed trying to serve God and, and bring the lost to know Christ. What about the students at Columbine? Had they known that their life was going to be taken before would they still have chosen to follow Jesus? What about the Christians in Muslim countries and the, and the uh, Christians in China? Had they known the cost up front, would they still have chosen to follow Jesus? If Stephen in the Bible, the first person who was martyred for his faith, if he knew that he was going to be stoned to death because of his place and position with Christ, would he still have said yes? Play that conversation out in your head for a moment. Had Jesus said, Stephen, you want to follow me? You want to be a Christian? Okay, here's what's there's what going to happen. There's going to be a group of people, and they're going to hate you because of me. Now, I don't know if this is how they do it. I, I've seen how um, 
some of the people even now where people have, their stonings have taken place in other countries where they have buried them people halfway. I don't know if they tied them up or held them or what that looks like. But they said, if you're going to follow me, then you're going to lose your life and they're going to throw rocks at you until you die. Are you sure that you want to make this commitment? If I was Stephen, I would be hoping that the guy who was throwing the baseball at the fair was throwing rocks at me. Would he still have chosen to follow Christ? Or would we have known, been like the rich young ruler and walked away? See, Jesus didn't ask him to pray a prayer. He didn't ask him, raise your hand with every head bowed and every eye closed and make a commitment because he probably would have said, sure, man, I'll do that. No problem. That would have been easy. No, Jesus spoke right to the thing that was stopping him from entering into heaven, the thing that was God in his life, the thing that had control of his heart, and he told him, you have to let it go. Now, if you were the rich man, and you asked that question to Jesus today, what would he say to you? What would he say has control of your heart? You may be a Christian, but maybe God's just not the priority in your life, or you may not know Him, and you've wrestled and you've fought over this for a long time. You hadn't gone all in, but what would He say today to you is the thing that has your heart? What's the thing that's stopping you from being all in? What is the baggage that you would have to take off for you to enter through the gate? Maybe it's your pride. Maybe it's money, like this man. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's your busyness and your devotion to work. Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's drugs. I don't know where you find yourself this morning, but what is the thing that's stopping you from being all in with Jesus? We're called as Christians and Christ followers to take up our cross daily. But here's the thing. We want to get the cross And we want it to be easy. We want the cross and all that it represents. We don't want it to be difficult and painful. But here's the thing. We can't have the cross and sand off all the splinters. We can't have the cross and take the pillow and put it on our shoulder and carry it everywhere we go. We can't have the cross and put the end of it. If you've seen the Easter drama, Passion of the Christ, we can't put the end on it and make it easier to carry. It's difficult. It's a thing we have to do daily. It's a conscious choice that we have to make. Now, as we look at the cross, we don't get the the cross without conviction. We don't get the cross without commitment. We don't get salvation without sacrifice. And what's interesting to note is as you look through Scripture and historic books, and I'm not saying all of this came out of the Bible. I would encourage you. I I did a lot of research. And and I'm not saying this, this is completely true, but this is the best that we could recall and that history has recorded. You can look at Fox's Book of Martyrs. You can go throughout and do your own research. 
But if you look at those who were Christians and Christ followers all throughout the Bible and that how they ended their ministry for the gospel, I wonder had all of them got the cost up front, would they have been like the rich man? Now, I, I believe the Bible is fully true. I believe every word is an error and infallible. Or, you know, you know what I'm saying. But I, I think if you look at the deaths of those who followed Jesus, Matthew, who was killed with a sword in Ethiopia, Luke, who died because of a hanging, Paul was in prison for the sake of Christ and beheaded in Rome. Peter, who was crucified and upside down. Bartholomew, who was whipped to death. James, stoned to death. Simon the Zealot, cut in half in Persia for his faith. Mark was drugged by horses in Alexandria. John got boiled in oil. Philip and Andrew, crucified. James, Matthias, beheaded. Thaddeus killed with arrows and doubting Thomas killed with a spear. It never ended good for those who followed Christ back in Jesus and after his time. Had they gotten the cost up front, would they still have chosen to follow Jesus? I think yes, many of them would. Could be absolutely all of them. Had we known what it was going to cost us up front, would we have jumped so eagerly on board? So I want to close with this this morning. Some of you got the cost a long time ago. There's probably many of you here who are Christians for 30, 40 more years. And you remember that moment where you asked Jesus to come into your heart and you had a whole bunch of stuff going on. I think about one of our pastors on our staff who tells how his life used to be before he came to Christ and how he just dropped alcohol and drugs completely and never went back. He knew what it was going to take and he said, I'm all in and he never looked back. And some of you are that same way. Jesus spoke to you and he said, this is what it's going to take and you said, I'm on board. I want to be a Christ follower. No matter what the stipulations some of you know what it's going to cost you this morning. And you may be unwilling to give that up. You may say, I just don't know that I can be all in. And then I think there's some of you who understand what it's going to cost you to follow Christ. And you're wrestling with that this morning. And maybe you're wrestling hard. Because maybe God spoke to you and said, if you're going to be all in, and like the rich man, this is what it's going to take for you. So now you're faced, all of us are faced with the same decision that the rich young man was faced with. Will we, this morning, walk away the same way that we came in? Will we leave the same exact way as we came in, or after hearing these words, will we be obedient and make the sacrifices that it takes to pursue Christ? So would you bow your heads with me this morning? And I want to just ask you this question. How about you? Are you all in? You don't get salvation without sacrifice.
Is eternal life worth it to you? Will you make that choice this morning? You may have a lot of stuff or you may have a little bit. But the principle is still the same. The Bible says, Wide is the gate that leads to destruction, but narrow is the gate that leads to eternal life. So I just ask you this morning, are you all in? You make that commitment. So I'm going to pray for us. And it's going to take you praying and asking God for forgiveness, repentance, whatever it is. And if you've never accepted Him as your Lord and Savior, what better time than this morning in our last service in this building before we move over into the new worship auditorium? It's not difficult. But it's not so easy. It's not just a prayer. It's not just a hand being raised. It is a daily, a daily conscious choice that we have to make. Carrying the cross. Denying ourself. Denying our sin. Pursuing Him. It cost Jesus His life. You receive him this morning. Father, I just thank you for the words that you've spoken. And I pray for those this morning who aren't all in, those who have been serving you half heartedly, or those who haven't served you at all, God, that we would make that choice, that we would leave better than when we came. We understand that there's baggage and stuff that has to be taken off before we enter into the kingdom. And so I pray, Lord, that we're able to deny ourselves, to give up those things and follow you. And so what I want us to do and we're going to let the music continue to play. I'm going to actually dismiss that. I'm going to ask our prayer team for those that want to come up this morning and would like to receive prayer. Maybe you have questions about Christ. Maybe you want to give your life to Him this morning. This altar is going to be open. We're going to be down here and we would like to pray with you and help you along in your journey. Help us as we leave, God, not to be so consumed with ourselves and our stuff that we miss out on our trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, Amen, Amen.